0: Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. This is the
1: monster from the swamps, Regis Rugeru program. It
0: hey, was up. This is King Carlos Conina, former IBF world champ.
1: This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian, and your people's champ.
0: This is Charlie Edwards flyweight champion of the world.
1: This is Fast Eddie Chambers and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man Joey Coastman.
2: Hello everybody and welcome to episode 250 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host Joey Coastman. I suppose in some ways 250 is a bit of a... um, a milestone, and uh, what better way to celebrate that that milestone with my main man, the the last voice you hear on the intro every single week? It is, of course, the former heavyweight world title challenger. He's fast. He's Eddie. He's Chambers. <laughs> I like that. Uh, Yeah, yeah. What's going on, Joe? Everything good? Everything is good. Um, For those that don't know, we recorded last week, and like I said, I had loads of technical issues. The uh, the echo in was a real problem, so we had to literally delete the whole thing, and I had to redo it just um, on my own, obviously. And I apologise once again for last week's interview with um, with Montel Griffin. There was there was obviously some echo in there, but I've heard good feedback on that. Um, people saying it wasn't too bad, so I'm pleased about that. Hopefully, everything will go smoothly this week. Um, right, so as ever, let's get into the. Um, well, firstly, I'm going to just say that 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 little impression I did there was an impression, um, you know, not a great one, but an impression there of um, David Diamante, a guy who uh, I went into the. George Groves and Jamie Cox world boxing super series um quarterfinals I think it was in the Wembley arena and uh, they let me in they let me in pretty early I don't think I was supposed to be let in there there was no other media there and I was I was there and um yeah he was rehearsing before the main you know well before any of the fights and uh you know he was on the on the microphone uh, David Diamante, cool guy, and um, yeah, I could hear him just repeatedly, you know, George Groves, Groves, and of course, Jamie Cox, Cox, how he always repeats the surname. It was good, though, that's not too bad of an impression, Joe, and was <laughs> bad. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to practice that, but anyways... Let's get into the <laughs> review and preview parts. Um, of course, let's start with the review part. We're going to start here at uh, California at the Fantasy Springs. Um, uh, over here, we have to mention the, the card that took place on Friday the 24th. Um, a fight, obviously, between a lady called Senisa Estrada, who's now 19-0. and 0. Mm. It was a defense of her WBC silver female light flyweight title. Now, it became the fastest knockout in women's boxing history. It was over in seven seconds of the first round. Um, Her opponent, Miranda Adkins, I think she was about 41 years of age. I think she was um, a mother or whatever, and it's quite sad because before the fight, they said, I think she was fighting for her own mother and breast cancer, I believe it was. So, you know, she wanted to try and make a mark, but like I said, it was over in seven seconds. Um, she was a late replacement. Um, you know, a lot of people were saying that the matchmaking's horrible, and it was, you know, it was dreadful, some of the comments I've read. But, you know, this this lady, even though she didn't even land a shot, um, she she was 5-0 and with five KOs herself. Yes, I think three or four of those five were debutants, but even still... I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm not going to go in too hard on that, but a, you know, a win there for Estrada um didn't learn anything of course from it. But moving up the card, Shane Mosley Jr got a win unanimously over 8 rounds against Jeremy Ramos. Shane Mosley Jr now 16 and 3. Um but the main event, Virgil Ortiz Jr 15 and 0 with 15 KOs. He moved to 16 and 0 with 16 KOs. However, he did um, go longer than he'd ever gone before. I think he hadn't ever been past... I think it was um, six rounds, I believe it was. And he he got taken further uh, this, this time out, obviously, against Samuel Vargas. He went to round seven for the first time. Sammy Vargas, such a tough, tough guy. Took so many big shots. Um, obviously, very experienced Vargas. And I was pleased that he at least took the guy into the seventh round, into uncharted territory. I like Vargas a lot, but um, he just had no answer, really, for Virgil Ortiz. He's so heavy-handed. You know, what a talent he is. And, um, yeah, all knockouts once again. He keeps that 100% KO streak intact, the percentage intact, and um, just a brilliant win. You know, he is, for me, certainly, certainly going to be one of the best, um, you know, Fighters in the in the next few years, when he really gets on top, I think he's going to be a real problem. You know, he could potentially go down as uh, you know a a great fighter of of this era. But yeah, you know, credit to Sam Vargas. You know, he certainly earned his money, and uh, yeah, all like a machine almost. Uh, Moving on from that, we're going to now go to the a card that took place in the hotel. Uh, somewhere in a hotel in in Michoacan, Mexico, former IBF junior middleweight world champion Carlos Molina promoted his own show, and he boxed in the main event. His record now thirty three and eleven with two draws. A win on points against Abraham Juarez, who uh, is now sixteen and six. Juarez had been knocked out in four of his five losses going into the fight. I think Carlos Molina probably expected to stop him. But actually, a very, very, very hard, tough fight for Carlos. Um, you know, the commentator said it could go either way. I wasn't really strictly scoring it. Um, it wasn't a fight field of, you know, great action at times. It was it was quite a slow kind of fight. Um, but, you know, Juarez was, was you know, tall, uh, awkward, and very, very tough. So, um, not an easy night's work there for Carlos Molina. He's quite disappointed with his performance. Um, Moving on, though, now to the BT Sports Studio in Stratford, London, United Kingdom. Uh, Let's talk about really just the main event. That was the only thing that did anything for me, to be honest. Uh, Joe Joyce now 11-0 with 10 KOs. A TKO in three rounds against Michael Wallish, who's now 20-4. Wallish was down uh, once in the second round and twice in the third round prior to the stoppage he just didn't really fancy it to be completely honest with you um you know wallish took a knee when he was down in the second round and um he took a knee twice in that third round and yeah referee ian john lewis waved it off and rightly so he um just didn't really fancy it to be honest took a few shots and just didn't want it you know he did land some decent shots on joe joyce before you know before it all went wrong for him but yeah and again that's that's Joyce's fight out of the way now Dubois has his fight, I think um in august, and uh yeah that's that'd be if he gets through his opponent that would be um a good fight between him and Joyce at first, I really thought Joyce I had Joyce winning against Dubois that was my very um unpopular opinion on that upcoming fight, but I don't know man, Joyce is very very stiff and quite robotic and you know. A little bit slow, dare I say it, at times, so I'm not quite sure about that one now. It um, just didn't really impress me too much, really. Uh, anyway, it's going to be a totally different fight, of course, than what we saw the other night. Um, I-, I will mention on the undercard, a win for Chris Bork. He's now 8-0, a win there against the previously undefeated 11-0, and um, Ramez Mahmoud. So... Uh, Good win there. Also a good win for Louis Lynn. He's now seven and zero. He was able to knock out in two rounds Monty Ogilvy. Um Yeah. Other than that, that's that. Uh, moving out now to Belarus. Just one fight to mention over here at the Diamond in Minsk. Um, heavyweight Alexander Ustinov. He had his 40th fight. He's now 36 and four. His opponent Tornik Purich Amiashvili. Um. Yeah, he retired on his stool after two rounds, citing an injury. Strangely enough, he apparently won one of those first two rounds, but um. Yeah, retired on his stool with an injury. Not quite sure what the injury was, but two judges had it one round apiece, and the other judge had Ustinov winning both rounds. So retirement win there. Um. That's it for the. Uh, the, the, all, the, all the reviewing. Moving on to the previewing. Just going to fly through this. This one takes place tomorrow night at the BT Sports Studio in Stratford, London. Um, over here, we get to see Nick Ball take on Jerome Campbell. Um, Nick Ball twelve and zero. Campbell six and zero. Uh, also, we get to see. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce this guy's name. It's it's, it's quite bad on my on my part there. But a guy I think called Kaimin. Agiaco six and zero. He takes on over ten rounds. Jez Smith, who's eleven and one with a draw. Jez Smith, I think he's the brother of um, Mitchell Smith. Jez Smith, you know, he's been wanting a big opportunity for a long, long time. That's over ten rounds there. Um, and the main event, Lyndon Arthur sixteen and zero. This one's for the Commonwealth Light Heavyweight Title against Dex Spellman, who's sixteen and three. That's a brilliant, brilliant fight. Spellman definitely the the more experienced. Um, can he drag Arthur into, you know, into deep water? That'd be interesting. Uh, moving out also to Thailand. This one I think takes place, if I'm not mistaken, about eight thirty a.m. UK time. Um, I think you can watch it on Matram's YouTube channel, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's probably going to be about three thirty a.m. in in uh, Eastern time on on. Uh, Saturday morning, so yeah, quite a strange card. Anyway, the f- the fight takes place in Thailand, like I say, at the Workpoint Studio. Uh, the fight is between Wisaksal Wangek, who is 47 and 47-5 with a draw. The guy that stopped Chocolatito Roman Gonzalez twice in back-to-back fights. He takes on Amnat Ruanrong, who's 20-3 and three over 10 rounds there. Um, and then at the Matrum Fight Camp, Eddie Hearn's first card... Since the pandemic came around, um, the fights pretty much taking place in Eddie Hearn's back garden. Um, we're gonna talk about uh, the the undercard first. Dalton Smith five and zero. He's in an eight rounder against Nathan Bennett, who's nine and one. That's a great fight. Fabio Wardley eight and zero takes on Simon Villilli for the vacant English heavyweight title. That's a brilliant fight over ten rounds. Um, James Tennyson 26 and 3 takes on Gavin Gwynn, who's 12 and 1 that's over 12 rounds for the vacant British lightweight title. A uh, great fight between Jordan Gill 24 and 1 um, in a 10 rounder against Reese. "The Bomber" Bellotti 14 and 3. And the main event, Sam Egginton, friend of the show, 28-6. He takes on Ted Cheeseman, 15-2 with a draw. That one's for the IBF International Super Welterweight title. Pretty much every fight on that bill is close to a 50-50. So I really like that card from top to bottom. Uh, Moving out now to the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut, USA. Over here we get to see... Couple good fights on the bill. Really, going to start with the undercard. Friend of the show, I think he's called the Mighty Midget, Tremaine Williams, nineteen and O in a ten rounder against um, a guy called Reese Alim. I think his name is sixteen and oh, So somebody's O must go there. All the best to Tremaine Williams, good guy. Uh, also, topping the bill for the vacant WBO World Super Bantamweight Title. It's been, um, you know, confirmed. In, in the last few days going to be for a vacant world title Stephen Fulton 18-0 and 0, takes on Angelo Leo who's 19-0 and 0. so both men have a combined record there of 37-0 and 0. someone's going to be taking a loss though on Saturday that's August 1st of course on Showtime this Saturday so brilliant fights there um, I just want to quickly whiz through the news if I have any um yeah Carl Frampton takes on um, a a fighter by the name of, and I have to check this because it's not a name I'd heard of previously. Uh, Carl Frampton takes on Varram Vardanyan, who's got a record of twenty one and one with a draw. Um, yeah, look for his you know for his record. No standout names. It seems like a gimme kind of fight. Also on the same card, Michael Conlan takes on what's his name his name is um Sofiane Takuach he's a french fighter 35 and 4 with a draw uh, we've seen him get stopped by Josh Warrington i think in one or two rounds i think last year for warrington's world title so Got a bit of experience, uh, I guess, and those fights both take place on the 15th of August. Archie Sharp was previously supposed to be topping the bill against J- Jeff Afori. and uh, these two big names have come on the bill and pretty much pushed him aside. So I'm not quite sure how how pleased he'll be, but um, you know he seems to have took it you know in, in his stride, if you like. Um, but yeah that's really all the news just um just a tiny little bit of news this week. That's it of course for the review and preview segment. So uh we will be speaking to a world champion later on in the show but before we get into that it's now time for Eddie's segment the lockdown knockdown. Um we're now at a pretty exciting stage Eddie. Um obviously you know again I must say we recorded most of this last week but the you know that the recording all went pear-shaped. And uh, we're pretty much going to be yeah. repeating what what we already spoke about. But where are we again? What are we going to be discussing this week? This this episode, this edition of the lockdown That's... knockdown. I think we we're, we're past Rossi, right? Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. We mistake. did we did Derek Rossi. Okay.
1: Did we do? We didn't. We didn't. We didn't talk about the Gwen fight. I think the Gwen fight was was this one. I think we talked about the Gwen and then we were going to go and we went into the um, Calvin Brock. Yes. So we'll go. We'll go. We'll go through those two. Those two, um, you know, and then we'll go from there.
2: Okay, let's get into it.
1: Okay. Okay, well, for the Gwynn fight, I mean, it, it was just just right after um, I had beat Derek Rossi. Um, we get the call just like we often do, you know what I mean? And uh, they were saying that we got to fight with Gwynn. And I had just won the USBA title. It's going to be, a, I guess, a defense of that. So it was kind of nice to, you know, meet me at that point my young career to be defending the title. And, um, and even previous before that, I found that I was 15th ranked in the IBF. So to get that opportunity and now to have the title puts me in the conversation for eventually in a short period, a title shot. So it was kind of great. But um, so we went home, like I said, we got the call. Okay. But, but he was going to uh, assist us a bit on camp. And, you know, he had some guys, he sat down, some heavyweight sparring some guys, but when we got there, you know, a lot of the guys weren't, I guess they had left and, you know, it just wasn't what we thought initially. So what we were planning to do was, okay, well, he had, you know, got in touch with a few people, a few of which I knew or knew of. And, uh, but the issue was, it was going to some travel time. You know what I'm saying? Like we were training every day, we were doing a normal thing, but the sparring we had to travel for. It. So one of the days I got in the car and I must have been in the car for three hours. And granted, it's, you know, air-conditioned ride, somewhat comfortable, but I do kind of remember getting out of the car feeling kind of stale. You know what I mean? And I'm not trying to make an excuse if I had a bad performance sparring, but it wasn't, it wasn't that. It was just when you're training for a flight and you're preparing for uh, something serious like that, you want everything to be not necessarily perfect, but at least to be favorable for you you know what i mean you want to be you want to be able to feel pretty decent at least going into some of these situations because you don't want to go in there even in sparring, you can get hurt so you know but i didn't feel my best but you know having the skill i had and 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 being in good shape i was still able to fare pretty well but and but this particular time the sparring partner one of the main sparring partners at this point was uh well for that day was uh frezzo kendo who's a pretty well-known guy has one of the most awkward styles of any heavyweight and it's just you know it was, it was it's a weird thing standing in front of him. he doesn't look really that special he doesn't look like you know anything to really write home about him he has some decent hand speed but not like you'll be like oh my god he's just a, a shockingly good fighter but when you get in front of him it's just not as easy as it looks and he knows little things and little tricks and you know things with his style and it just made the fight real awkward and weird so we well, not the fight it was a sparring session but so he was kind of difficult. The work with him was um, was a little weird because, like I said, he was real awkward, real weird uh, style. So, you know, and then on top of that, you know, like I said, the three-hour ride, I just really didn't feel good. So it was actually at that point shaping up to be a pretty, pretty rough camp. You know what I mean? Because, like I said, we had to travel for sparring. And, you know, it, it was going to be tough sparring anyway. So just knowing that you got to deal with that long-ass, excuse my French, but that long-ass ride, and and then to go and have to do something tough like sparring and spar with people you might not even know. It, Cause to be honest, we didn't really know exactly who we were gonna spar. We just knew they had a couple tough guys in camp. So mm-hmm. the the work was the work was pretty um was pretty good considering. You know what I mean? I didn't do as good obviously as well as I could have done, but I did okay. Um but um but it was okay. So we ended up traveling back. Once again, a long, long ass ride. I got home not too late, but got home late, you know at a, a good enough time for me to get a good eight hours of sleep. And um, then we had another opportunity for some sparring. I think it was down in Boca Raton and, um, with uh, a guy by the name of uh, Andre Pellettis. Actually, we weren't actually going to work with him at first. We were supposed to work with Sultana Bragamov, but for whatever reason, he couldn't make it he wasn't there and then his cousin I forget what the guy's name but his last name was he had the same name but I cannot remember his first name but um, we, we were going to spar with him as well but neither one of those guys were available so we ended up working with Andre for maybe like 8 to 10 rounds straight and once again we talking about Florida we talking about going on a book of the time which it is, it's just hot it, like the devil was just standing outside it's just its just so hot and then, the, and then those gyms are like they're like um you know, like uh, like garages, you know what I'm saying, with the doors open, and it's just steaming. And, I mean, you feel – you to the point where you just feel the heat, like in your your legs and your hands, your arms, everything. It's just burning me up. So it's, the sparring was a little better this time, but it's still, you know, with that long route, another two-and-a-half-hour route or something like that, going down and dealing with that crap, and then having to spar a tough guy who could punch, and you know, a skilled guy, and it's like, oh, what the hell. But got through the sparring, dealt with it. And pretty much the entire camp was like that, traveling here, traveling there. And then the sparring we did get wasn't really that good. But the one good constant thing that I got, which made me really realize how important rest was, like, I really, I was legitimately getting at least eight hours of sleep every night. And it had, I mean, at first, I didn't really know the effect it had because I really wasn't feeling that great in sparring. I mean, the training the, the, the training sessions were good, but I wasn't really feeling that great in sparring, but it was because of the travel. I didn't really start to feel how good I felt until I got to the fight, like, until so we got out to, um, to Vegas, because I was going to fight. I was fighting Gwen in Vegas over. It was, like, right... It was the day before, if I'm not mistaken, Joe. It was the day before... The day before um, De Mayweather. I think that was... I think that's right. It's right, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Okay, so it's the day before the Mayweather and um and the La Jolla fight. So I I remember getting there and I'm feeling pretty decent, like not not you know not, not nothing crazy, but I felt pretty good. Like, ah, yeah, I'm kind of expecting not to feel that great considering that the camp wasn't the greatest camp ever. Like I did well in sparring. I did. I did okay here and there, you know, but I just didn't feel that great perform- performance-wise. And, you know, sometimes as a top athlete or whatever, you want to make sure that you feel good before you get in and actually perform. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't really feel that a hundred percent. So I wasn't sure. But then once we get there, you know, we hitting the pads, we shaking out a little bit, went to the, to the, to the um, workout area. Like we always did, shook out light. And then, I started to really feel like, yeah, I feel pretty damn good. And then I started to also realize my body kind of getting on the schedule. So at 11 o'clock, because I was going to pretty much going to bed at at least the latest 11 o'clock every night when I was in camp. And uh, every day, my body woke me up. Not me with an alarm or anything like that, but my body woke me up at a certain time. So I started to really feel that schedule. And my body started really feeling good. I was like, man, why do I kind of feel this good? It's kind of like surprising me a little bit, like you know, I didn't expect to feel that good considering the performances in camp. You know what I mean? It wasn't like it was anything special. So, you know, the day before the fight, you know, the nerves come. You know, they take you to do the little specials and they talk to you and ask you questions about the fight and the fighter. And you take your your still pictures and you know the the, the face offs and all that crap with the with the um, you know the 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 prelim stuff. You know, before you get you know, go to the fight for the fight night. And I'm still feeling. I'm feeling. I'm kind of feeling good enough to make me feel a little weird. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm feeling a little bit too good. Like, like I wasn't expecting to feel this good considering how the camp went. And this is the day of the fight. So then I'm already starting to get nervous anyway. But then I'm starting to get nervous about that. Like, is there something going to happen? Like, you know, you. It's ridiculous to be nervous about feeling good, but I wasn't used to feeling that good because, I mean, I've had so many fights in the past where I was fighting on fumes, you know, because we worked so hard. And then I started to think, well, maybe I'm going to get tired because I didn't work hard enough in camp. You know, maybe we didn't do this. Maybe we didn't do that. And it's like, damn, so what am I going to do? So I'm starting to worry about that. And then, of course, Steve, he was doing his makeshift pad work, but. We, we, we went over what we were going to do in the fight and how we had planned to fight and how he throws punches and what he does because we kind of knew him from watching him. And like I said, me and Steve probably trained each other for most of these fights anyway, no disrespect to my dad or Rob, but that was what it was. So we went over generally our game plans together. So we were in, like I said, doing our our light pad work and coincidentally, funny enough, it actually played out that way in the fight. And everything we expected him to do, he did. But I felt so good, even with the nerves and all, I felt so good in the fight that I was taking it too easy. Not necessarily taking it easy like I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do, but taking it easy like, man, I'll let him throw punches all he wants and he ain't touching me and it ain't hurting me. It's not bothering me. I can do what I want here. Not realizing that the more he does and the more active he is, them closer the fight stays because, I mean, don't get me wrong, my punches are looking a lot better, looking a little, you know, faster, sharper, harder, everything. But he is still coming back and, you know, and, and giving me something back each time, even if it's not anything to write home about. And even if he's missing, it's still activity. So some of these rounds are close. And as I get further into the fight, my dad starts to really, you know, get into my, my get into me a little bit and telling me, hey, you want to start picking it up? This guy... You know, you can't just keep sitting there and letting them throw punches at you. You got to take over the fight. And, and you know, some of those things he said, probably a little more aggressive than I just did. But the reality of it was, I had to pick it up. So, as the fight went on, I started to pick it up a little bit, land more combinations, you know, threes and fours sometimes, maybe five five punch combinations, doing a couple different things. And, you know, it was some impressive things out there, don't get me wrong, but I still allowed him, in, especially in the early part of the fight, to be in the fight. And... Out of the fight, realistically, I think I won probably eight, seven to maybe eight of the ten rounds. But the reality of it is, because I could have shut him out. Shoot, I could have—I—I I, I don't know if I could have stopped him. Maybe I wasn't punching him hard enough, or I couldn't hurt him enough. But I definitely, definitely could have did more work in there. But once again, I was feeling so good, and sometimes that is not the greatest thing. If you feel so good, sometimes it makes you coast because you feel like you can do. You know, you don't really need to, to do all this extra work when it just seems so easy. You know what I mean? You feel like you're in control. You may be, you know, sometimes a fool's gold because you think you're winning because it's so easy and nothing's bothering you. But the, the people on the outside are watching, right? And they're judging it punch for punch. And some people actually count punches, which is ridiculous, but that's what they do. You understand what I'm saying? So then it makes it sometimes hard to judge. So even if you're landing the better punches, they may be scoring it for him. So, regardless of how good you feel, any time you fight, win. Win at all costs. And what I mean by win at all costs, I mean if you can put your foot on the gas, if you can turn up the up the heat, if you can throw uh, more punches or harder shots or whatever it is you can do, if you can be clean defensively and not let them touch you, do whatever it takes no matter what. Because if you keep sitting in there and letting the guy exchange with you even just to make you feel macho, can come out on the short end of the stick. Maybe he's more popular. Maybe they want him to win. You know what I'm saying? So you gotta you gotta stay on the gas. You gotta win at all costs and don't play no games. And that's the problem that I had with a few of my fights. And this being the first one. Well I mean obviously there's probably been some other issues I've had earlier in my career, but this one these ones are the ones that stood out because these fights were closer than they needed to be.
2: Yeah, and that win obviously over Dominic Gwynn, you know, was a brilliant win at the time. Another kind of step up the ladder. Um, you know, Gwyn, obviously even to this day, a very, very tough guy nowadays got 13 losses, but never been stopped in any of those. Like I say, um, Adelaide bird did, did have you pitching a shutout that night. And, uh, Dave, (laughs) Dave, (laughs) Dave Moretti and CJ Ross, 97, 93. Um, so right. yeah, where do we go from there, Eddie? Is there a training camp, or are we straight into the the boxing banker fight against Calvin Brock?
1: Yeah, we we go on to talk about the boxing banker, and if, and uh, we have a little history even before that fight. Real respectable guy, you know. I, it's funny we were actually supposed to fight. Was he really a banker? I think we were both. Eating. I think so. In fact, it, you know, this is a little fast forward, but you know, and uh, right before we were fighting, maybe that morning. Or something like that. I think we saw him in the lobby, with the uh, with the paper, looking at the stocks and all that crap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Taking a look and and, and checking up on his 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 investments and all that. I'm telling you, that's the, he. He I think he was a legitimate banker. <laughs> I think so. Man. You know what I mean? Obviously, he got off the sport right after we fought, so I don't think he needed it that much. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but um, but yeah, you know, we actually had history before that we had, not only we were, we were not only had we sparred before, which was a little later, but we had actually were trying to schedule a fight between us two earlier in our careers, but I think we both had eight fights at the time. We were both 8-0, and he, we were looking, and I think my guys, my management team at the time, was looking to sell me out, some, not sell me out, like sell me, but they were like looking to get somebody who would pay them a good deal of money to buy the contract, and if I was, per, you know, If I was good enough, if they could sell me and get some money for me or whatever, because they just didn't think they could do anything with me, the guys that I was with early on. But the fight fell through. They ended up declining it. We were thinking about doing it, and they did it first because it just didn't look like a good matchup. Actually, now that I look back on it, it looked like a better matchup for me than it did for him. So they were smart to decline it. Then you fast forward uh, a few years after that, we actually end up having the opportunity to spar because he was training with a guy in Ambridge PA by the name of Tommy Ian Kelly, who was a, was a really good trainer from the area. And he was training him. And I think, I don't know, I think we were we were obviously in Philly at the time. I mean, we were living in Philly at the time but we were visiting back home. And I think they called us and asked, hey, will Eddie be able to come up and work with Calvin for this uh, for this fight we had? I forget what we was fighting. I'm not sure. Hey, you know my dad, Even if I wanted to turn something down, he wasn't turning nothing down. So we was definitely going to go up to spar with Calvin, no matter what the situation was. Whether I was fighting him next, I could have been. Man, if they called me for sparring and we were set to fight each other, he would have probably wanted to take the damn sparring. But that's just how my dad was. But anyway, so we um, we planned on going up there. We Went up there to spar with him, and you know, I'm not trying to you know make myself out to be this killer like I beat everybody up in sparring and ever sparred with. But I felt. Like like I did in the Gwynn fight. I felt super comfortable and super relaxed. I felt like it was always going my way. Not necessarily was 100% true all the time, but I just felt like I had a, the speed advantage. He wasn't like a very good fighter. You know what I mean? Like a, like a, nothing really special, no special effects, nothing crazy. Big Pretty big puncher. He had a pretty good punch, but he wasn't really like crap Like like uh, he was crafty, but he wasn't really slick or 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 any any way special with speed or anything like that. He was really good with timing, had a had a decent jab, really 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 uh, quality skills, but nothing to write home about. So when I get in there with him and I'm you know, dazzling him or whatever with speed and combinations and moving around him and stuff like that. It just, you know, a guy like him, he's just not used to that kind of thing, especially heavyweights in general, just weren't used to that kind of thing. So sparring was always so weird for him, you know, uncomfortable for him. You know what I'm saying? And that's really all you want to, your opponent to be is a little uncomfortable. So we had worked a lot of rounds, and I figured we worked maybe, you know, we were doing eight to ten rounds a day, and we sparred probably four times in that week and a half, four or five times, and I, I really felt comfortable most of those days. My dad was on my ass every day wanting more from me but and calvin calvin actually at one point was talking about that like yo man calm down why are you trying to get the kid to turn it up so much i feel like he was like, he did he did pretty damn good today you know what i mean because my dad was trying to get me to push so much more and he's like damn man he already get you know he's already on my ass how much more you want him to do and he want me to kind of chill down and, you know and, and, and kind of settle a little bit but the reality of it was you know if you know my dad you know he wasn't trying to he wasn't trying to take no seconds, so that was just how it was. But um, anyway, fast forward, and I think um from from oh, we did have a camp. Obviously, we had a camp for the uh, Calvin Brock fight, but it was a weird time because we had, you know, we were training in Shuler's gym. Um, actually, I wanted to mention to uh, you know, Nasir Richardson just just passed as too long ago, and. God rest his soul. Great trainer, one of the greatest, you know, one of the one of the best of our time. So it's kind of messed up and kind of talking about shoulders where we all trained at one point, kind of made me remember them again. But um, but anyway, yeah. The, just, um, I just,
2: I thought you were gonna probably say something about that towards the end, but now that you've brought you've brought it up yeah. now, um, just let our listeners know what's going on, Eddie. You're currently, um yeah tell me you're there you're there with a few people who's there what's going on obviously you know surrounding um brother nazim's passing
1: yeah well yeah i mean there's i mean i i didn't actually get a chance to make it to the actual ceremony and everything at the, at the time because i i was at a prior engagement i couldn't get there but the guys i'm with now was you know they were all there and of course a lot of the fighters that he touched that he worked with um i'm certain were there um me, uh, well, my brother uh, Johnny, another good friend of mine, and Bashir, my trainer, one of the, one of, another one of the greatest trainers out there right now, is, uh, was all there. And they kind of let me know, you know, what's going down, and they wanted me to come, obviously, but I couldn't make it. But yeah, it's just a sad thing when you see a guy like that, legend in the sport. And funny enough, he's the one who caught Antonio Margarito first <laughs> with those loaded gloves. And he always wanted to. He's always one of the smartest trainers that I've ever been around. We listened to him talk. And he, believe me, he held court for a while. But but you always wanted to listen because he always had so much good knowledge to give. You know what I'm saying? And it was just it's just sad to see something like that. When I mean I don't know what the whole situation was and what the, you know what he was going through at the time. But from the past and not to be able to see him and I haven't seen him in a good while. It's kind of it's kind of messed up.
2: I'm guessing. Um bernard must have showed his face no oh yeah oh yeah, oh, yeah. no doubt about who it. else was I mean, down uh, there was earlier there. earlier today eddie who else was down there do you know
1: um i'm not sure i gotta to talk to the guys and they're all here i wish i could tell you yeah. but i want to get them get them running you know getting there running them out because they'd be all crazy but uh, i'm certain all of, all of his guys were here there's no doubt about it in my mind that you know I i wouldn't be surprised if Shane and Bernard and all of those guys were up here man. you know, to be honest, but um Steve Cunningham. yeah, like I said, yeah, Steve Cunningham, for sure, yeah, and I mean, I'm pretty sure Steve was here too because he he was he's only uh, about a couple like four hours or so four to five hours away in Pittsburgh, so it wouldn't have been a tough drive, plus my my brother came down coming from the same place, so there's no there's no uh there shouldn't be no issue for him to get here,
2: yeah,
1: you know, but anyway, yeah, that's. Sad time in the boxing business is, uh, is not a good time when you lose somebody like that. So much knowledge, so much, uh, you
2: know,
1: so so, so, like, like a name that you're going to remember in the sport for sure.
2: Yeah, well said, man.
1: Thank you, Joe. <laughs> but um, but anyway, we're going to go back to talking about the Shulers and the camp I had, which was kind of weird because um, – it's funny, I was sparring Calvin, which we, we know, well, I was fighting Calvin, sorry, I was fighting Calvin, and Calvin is maybe 6'2", at most. He's a little bit taller than me. I mean, in the pictures you can see, he's a little bit taller than me. But for some reason, we had tall sparring. And I guess it doesn't really matter t- to a degree. I mean, it's important just to have good sparring, and I believe in that too. You know what I mean? No matter what the situation is, a lot of guys like to just get confidence and be the best guy in the gym all the time, and don't get me wrong. I feel, always felt like I was, or at least, you know, with the guys I was working with. But the reality of it is, man, if you're not getting tested in the gym, man, how you gonna be ready for anything, or, or or how you gonna be ready to be tested in the ring? You know what I'm saying? So, even camp to camp is important. So, man, we had we had Tony Thompson. Uh, I had I forget who else. I, oh, I had a Chaz Willerspoon was there. Then I don't know why or how this happened, but the whole Irish Olympic team came in town. I think it was Irish or the English or Irish. I can't remember for sure. I think it was the Irish team. And I think I ended up sparring, um, damn, David Price. Didn't even know who he was at the time. He was a kid. He was young. He was obviously real young, Still still 6'8", big tall guy. Hell am I sparring a 6'8 guy when I'm fighting Calvin Brock, who's 6'2", but whatever. It's work. And then there were some other guys. They were there, and I feel like, swear, like the sw- shortest guy was 175 pounder, you know, 6'4". So I, I, I just don't understand what they was trying to do. They was just growing tall guys over there. But anyway, they are all, all pretty good, in the sparring, once again, for this fight, was not the greatest. You know what I mean? Because it was like, it was a little bit, obviously, working sparring with these long-rangey guys were, was tough. And on top of that, having Tony Thompson, who was also another top-level guy that I'm running in with, also Chaz Willispoon, who at the time was on his way up, too. Out of the Olympic program, and um, I think he was an Olympic alternate. And it's just like, man, uh, it's 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 tough work all the time. And I'm the smallest guy in there, six foot one, sparring sparring all these giants. But got to do what you got to do. And they and then also, not not to not to not to forget Steve Cunningham, who's another six foot three and a half, six four guy that I'm in this room with. who's a cruiser. But all of these guys I'm running into and I'm dealing with, and I gotta just you know. Day in the day out, work with them every t- every, and you know my dad did not believe in necessarily taking breaks and rest. So we sparring sometimes four four days in a row. You know what I mean maybe every day in a week. You know what I mean? That was just how it was. We had certain sparring days, but maybe if he felt like I needed some more work or whatever, he was going to turn it. He was going to put them in there. And those guys were there for me, so they so they helped me. So as tough as the sparring was, and I had good days. Don't get me wrong. I you know I had my days where I ran them out, but for the most part. It was tough. <laughs> you know, I was always running there with somebody tough. So um, get through camp. Like I said, another hard camp. But I felt, you know, reasonable, got reasonable sleep. Not like I did in the in the uh, Gwen camp, but got reasonable amount of sleep because I think we were at home for this one. Yeah, we were at home, obviously. I you was know, training the shoes. But anyway, so then we go away to the fight, which was a weird trip because it was going for whatever reason. We're both East Coast fighters. And I still to this day don't understand why they did that. Maybe it was because it was cheap to get one of the um, uh, was it was one of those um, I can't even get one of those like uh, I guess the permits like for the casinos or something or whatever it was a little bit easier or cheaper to get than I guess for like a regular venue or a big venue, and for a small fight card like like we had and which wasn't really a big one it was just you know me and calvin was the main event and it was on a showbox card they really couldn't get any funding so i guess they were like well what's the point in putting in a spot that's going to be expensive when we're not going to get the gate or the buys you know what i mean so i guess they just said well, you know we're going to take this thing over to the west to the north northwest don't still don't quite understand i feel like we could have done it somewhere more local but whatever you know uh Goose and is a, as a west coast guy and i guess they agreed to that so we ended up going way out there and um, it was funny when we got out there too i found out who his trainer was and his trainer was none other than sweet p whitaker and he's a big trash talker too <laughs> Because i was out there and you know when you, you know, when you're in getting ready for a fight or whatever and you're at the venue or at the area where the fight's going to be You know, you want to find a place that you can get some last minute shakeouts and some last minute workouts. And so we did that. Right. But coincidentally, it's kind of weird because we only had really one place to train up in that area. It was in Seattle, Tacoma area. And it was just like a like a, a pal gym that they had up there, which was it was really nice, big. They had it was a nice, just a nice and general thing. It was a, it was, it would they had computers for kid, helped kids with school and everything in there. It was all, it was real nice. They had basketball, which you know I love. They had, um, they had the boxing section. They had a lot of stuff in there, man. It was, it was really nice. But we both had to use it, so I guess for shits and giggles or whatever, they, they, we, well, we went over there to train, and I guess they knew that we were going to be there. So I guess just to mess with me or whatever, they wanted to uh come over and watch the watch me shake out right before he got his workout in. So I'm over there and I notice that they're there. So I'm starting to try to I'm giving them my best moves, you know, I mean my sharpest combinations, the fastest punches, you know, the feints, the you know, the speed, all of that stuff, right? All of the all of the movement that he's gonna be looking at and hopefully and freaking um Sweepy over there killing me. talking about that's all he got. Oh man, this might be an easy night, Calvin. And he just, you see that he's really, really think that's scaring or worrying, making some you know he's just he's going in and in and in. And I know he's just saying that to get a rise out of me. So I hear him. And I start turning it up even more, doing more stuff, you know, more more uh, feints, more more, more uh, quick combinations and spins and all this crap. And I'm saying to myself, yeah, you're talking all that shit. Wait till you see your boy in front of me on, on, on Friday. or I think it was Friday. Friday or Saturday. And, you know, it kept going until we left. But I know because, you know, he knows boxing. And I know Calvin knew boxing. And they knew what they were in for for that night. That night. They just thought that their plan was gonna be enough to kinda of nullify what I brought to the table. But the reality of it is the more he talked, the more I knew I had him. You know what I'm saying? Fast forward to the fight. Uh the fight night. Once again the nerves come. All these worries and all of this. And um but I get you know, I remember the ring I remember the ring walk. And they don't really show ring walks on on show box because, you know, it's, not really, I guess that important, I mean, you know they just want to have the fighters in the ring, but I remember the music that I came out to. it just felt perfect, that whole thing felt perfect I even had like i-, I was nervous but i but i was but I was into it, you know what I mean i just i I loved being a part of this whole thing and then, you know, finding out that this is the opportunity. Maybe I get a title shot soon after, you know, or I'm, I'm going to be in the championship of this tournament next and all of these things. Then not to mention the amount of money I thought I, I heard I was getting it was the biggest payday to date. I was like, wow, man, this, is I'm really stepping into the big time. So I felt really good about it and um get into the fight. And once again, I start feeling a little too good and, you know, I start playing to the crowd, making faces you know, making a miss and hitting him with little quick shots and stuff like that that I know he wasn't really capable of dealing with. And, you know, as the fight go in, you get a little more relaxed, and you get a little more uh, comfortable, and it just becomes like, ah, I'm going a, I'm to a beat this dude walking away easy. It ain't going to be nothing. But then as the fight goes on, and you know, my dad's not going to play, you know, not going not gonna to bullshit me at all. He's going to tell me exactly what's happening. And he's feeling like I'm, I'm kind of messing around. I'm not doing enough. All that playing to the crowd, all that crap you're doing, that ain't doing nothing but making them, making them not want to, not want to give you the damn round. Go out there and punch and win the round. Probably said it obviously a lot harsh, more harsh than that, and probably cursed me out in the corner, but something like that. So the idea was I needed to pick it up, and as the fight wore on, um, I did, but I still, I still remember throwing a lot of single shots. I could have definitely picked up the pace and through more combinations. There was a lot of single pot shots and counters, which were good, but it just it just didn't overwhelm him enough to like just give me a clear cut victory, even though I felt like I deserved one. You know what I'm saying? And especially when these guys when these guys don't really like your style. Because even up to that point, I don't really, I really just don't think they were in love with my style. The idea was they just wanted the two freshest faces to fight in the championship, which Will be the next fight after I finish telling this. But the idea was they just wanted that, and they didn't really like my style. They didn't really like to watch, you know, like, like I said, they didn't really like my style. So, and then the playing to the crowd and the things like that kind of sometimes gives the judges a sour taste in the mouth. And then once again, like I said, I didn't, I didn't, I dominated them. Like I felt like I dominated them and all, but I, I felt like I did it. And I felt like I didn't do it in the way I really should have. You know what I mean? I should have put more punches together. I should have looked to try to get him out of there, because I felt like there were opportunities for that in that fight too. You know what I mean? I felt like he was he was wheeling a couple times and and really ready to and really ready to go. And felt like he was a little tired. But once again, I let the thing go to a to a judge's scorecard, and coincidentally, they had it split, which is the first time I've ever had to even hear that. Now I've heard majority before, but this is the first time that I've heard a split. You know what I mean? So now I'm thinking, oh crap, um, did I ruin my chances? Or, but at the time I'm not thinking that because I'm thinking I felt good. I felt like I was winning the fight. I controlled the entire fight. That he didn't do anything. I got to the point at one point in the fight where I almost dropped my hands and made a stupid mistake and let him catch me with a stupid shot. But that's how that's how in control I felt. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, damn, how could they have a split decision? So I'm thinking, okay, well here's the salt in the game. They 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 gonna try to you know they're gonna try to get me out of there. And they read it, and I end up winning, but by split decision. And I'm sitting there like, damn, like what did I do wrong in this fight? But then I go and look at the tapes. And even not too long ago, I look at the tape, and I realize, like, damn, I did allow him to stay in the fight. And once again, like I said before, if you have an opportunity to take control, to dominate, to to knock a guy out in 30 seconds, do it. Do not fucking sit around. Sorry again about the cursing, but do not sit back. And allow yourself to mess around and have too much fun because before you know it, that final bell, this dude goes a goes distance and gets a crazy bullcrap decision. Then what? Then what do you do to your, your career? You know what I mean? So don't take anything for granted. Just because you might feel good, you might think like you're, you're in front, you might be controlling the fight, all these things might be in your favor. But that doesn't mean the, the, the scorecard or the decision is going to go your way. To, there's there's a couple fights that we're gonna to get to later on that you're gonna find out find out totally, uh, to, totally find out about that through my eyes. You know what I mean? It's just not there's nothing that is guaranteed, especially in a sport like this where they pick a winner, even if you feel like and most of the world feels like you won.
2: Yeah, and like I say, another brilliant win there. And I want to get into that. I think it's real interesting that you know the late great. Pernell Whitaker trained him for the fight. And obviously, some people don't know that, um, you know, Pernell's close friends and family um, often called him Pete, right? So when he was an amateur, they would actually chant Sweet Pete. That was his real nickname, Sweet Pete. But a local newspaper at the time misheard it and, um, you know, and, and thought they were saying Sweet Pea. And then that was it. That was where the nickname came from. It's, it's stuck. So that's where Sweet P came from. But um,
1: that's cool. I didn't even know that. That's, that's cool. I like that.
2: But, you know, as for the boxing banker Calvin Brock, you know, that that nickname came because he earned um, a bachelor's degree in business administration and finance from the University of um, North Carolina at Charlotte. So uh, that's where that one came from. Wow. But, yeah, I mean... You know, a good win. Um, I know you feel like it, it should have been wider than what it was. It should have never been a split. But, um, you know, Calvin Brock, a guy... What? Sorry, I, I'll come to you in just a second. Can, no, no, no. Go on. No, what do you think? No, Ka- Calvin Brock obviously went into the fight with that record, 31 and one The one loss coming to Vladimir Klitschko for the IBF and, and, and IBO World Heavyweight titles. Um, I think a year, a year almost to the day previous. So... Uh, yeah, brilliant win and of course subsequently had to retire um you know due to the damage that he took in that fight from yourself he needed an operation on his eye and um basically the operation went wrong and uh, to my knowledge I think he's pretty blind in 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 one eye. Um I read something that he can see daylight or something in that eye. But anyway, one of his eyes is messed up for good and yeah, he was forced to retire from boxing after that. But what was you going to say, Eddie? Sorry.
1: No, yeah, no, no, no. I was saying that Um, it's sad to see that happen to him even then. And not necessarily saying he's the prime, prime of his career at that time but he still, you know, he still had obviously life left. Just losing to me was no big deal, you know, to mean He lost to Vladimir before it he made it to the world title. So it's sad but even with all that and all of the guys he faced, you know, I looked at an interview and I couldn't believe it to myself when he said it. He said I was the sharpest guy he ever fought. And I was like, damn, ever? Like, I mean, you had amateur fights. You were at the top level amateur. You were a top level fighter, like, in the, in the pros. And I'm the guy? Kind of surprised me. I mean, I always respected him for actually saying and telling the truth, if that he really believed that. Wow. You know what I mean? Even to this day, it still makes me say, "Damn, I can't believe that he's somebody." He said that, and that, and that's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, like I said, he had been in the ring with great, other great fighters before. You know what I'm saying? One of them being the probably the greatest of our era. You know what I mean? A lot of Makhachkalo. So, you got that's a hell of a thing to um to uh to to hear. You know what I mean? And and just in general, man, just makes it gives you a great deal of confidence going forward. Especially a person like me who wasn't really the most confident guy ever. So, it was nice to hear. And shout out to him in general. Hope everything's good for him.
2: Yeah, I know you've never seen him since the fight, which is quite quite sad, really. But um, yeah, all the best to him. But yeah, you're right. You know, obviously he was an Olympian. He went to the 2000 Olympic Games. Um, just to get confirmation on that, yeah, it was a um, it was a you know eye surgery that had gone wrong. I I read here that you. The the, the the shots that you landed and stuff like that he uh you had a detached retina in his right eye detached yeah. retina yeah and yep. then yeah yep. a surgical mistake left him legally blind in that right eye but anyways um Jesus yeah all the best to him man but um so that brings us up to where we at we're at um, November 2007 obviously your next fight would take place in um. Wow, only only t- only about what's that about 10 weeks later you're back against Pervecio. Yeah. But um are we yeah. going to get into that this week or are we going to come to that next time? Yeah, we're going to come back to that next time
1: because that's a big that's pretty big. And yeah. it's a lesson. It's a huge and it's a huge lesson. Huge lesson in that fight. And just in general, man. And it's like I've always been one of those guys that really, really, really believed in training properly and being 100% ready. But and we always did. And you know, my dad wasn't wasn't for the bull crap, But this is why we really need to talk about this at, at somewhat at length. And this is um, an important milestone in my career. And actually, it was a it was a pretty good lesson to helped me get over the hump the next time out.
2: Yeah, man. So I'm excited to get into that. That's a big, big fight there. Um. Obviously, that so, that Calvin Brock win would be the uh, the end of the win streak. The it wouldn't go further than that. Um, but yeah, just to let people know again, there was this format. You didn't really mention this, but there was this kind of four-man tournament, Eddie. Obviously, between yes, um, yes, you and know. Brock. Brock obviously had had yep. a world title fight in the past, and um, yep. uh, Chris Bird and um, Alexander Povetkin. Povetkin yep. at the time, obviously undefeated. Um, Chris Bird at that point yep. had he been he'd been world champion at that point, of course, hadn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, he, had yeah he was.
1: It was like they were looking at him as
2: the old you know coming to the thing. end. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: kind of thing coming toward the end. But he still was kind of. And they were talking about: Do you feel like you got shafted by getting Calvin Brock over getting Chris Byrd, they felt like Calvin Brock had more left than Chris Bird at the time and I'm like look in my mind I'm saying I might have made it off easier because I have history with Calvin so I kind of know him a little bit so at least I know what to prepare for with Chris Bird being a softball and slick as he was even older even maybe not being a step as fast you know being as quick you know or or being as sharp that still might have been a tougher fight I don't know it all depends it never happened you know
2: yeah but no, like I say, obviously, you beat Brock, uh, Povetkin beats Chris Bird, and then that sets up that Povetkin fight, which we'll get into uh, next time. I'm sure there's going to be a lot to speak about there. So that wraps up this this episode of the, or this edition of the Lockdown Knockdown. Like I say, we did the news, we did the review and the preview part uh, just before we, uh, we we bring in our soul interview this week our our sole guest of this week this week's podcast um eddie if you just want to sign out with any closing words before we let you go my friend then i bring in the this sole guest
1: no man just thanks for having me on again joe you know this is this is a great opportunity for me to tell this crazy story that i have and maybe it's the start of something good and uh hopefully it's only i still have another chapter left but we'll see you know but it's uh this is uh it was just a great' it was great talking to to everybody hopefully um like i said we can uh do this again hopefully maybe next week and then get into the more meaty part of this whole thing this whole crazy life and career that I've had so far
2: yeah looking forward to it, my friend and like I say once more um i just want to say you know rest in peace of course to brother. Brother Nazim, and um, please Eddie, just just um, say hello to everyone on my behalf. Everyone that you're with, um, you know, great people, of course, yeah. Not a problem, man. I got you. Okay, well that brings all the talking to an end. It's now time to welcome our sole guest on this week's podcast, the former IBF bantamweight world champion, Mister Paul Butler. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former IBF bantamweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Paul Butler. Paul, welcome to the show, my man.
0: Thanks for having me,
2: mate. Absolutely, my pleasure, Paul. Thank you for giving me some time. So, Paul, I want to start with uh, just revisiting a couple of your previous fights. I'd like to start with, um, you know, y- y- your world title shot back in 2014, June 7th in Newcastle. You pretty much moved up in weight to fight Stuart Hall. Uh, you know, you were clearly a super flyweight back then. Stuart Hall was a big bantamweight at that, so to move up and beat him was a massive statement. I remember it like it was yesterday. What do you recall of that? That huge. Night for yourself, though.
0: Yeah, it was a brilliant night. Um, I'd obviously um, heard about Stuart or getting the the fight against Malinga, uh, and then I remember getting invited down to 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 actually watch the fight. And I remember walking into the arena. and I walked in with Francis Warren, and and he said, uh, "If Stewart all wins this fight, would you, would you, would you be keen in taking him on?" I just looked at him and I said, of course, would yeah." And I'd, I'd previously sparred with, with Stuart. We'd, we'd done loads of rounds together. I think I sparred him for one of his Jamie McDonald fights. Um, I sparred him for the Ashley Sexton fight. Uh, so we were very, very familiar with each other. Uh, so I was more than confident in taking the fight. And I, I just I said to him straight away, I said, of course, would you? Um, I watched the fight and... I remember after two or three rounds, um, I was sat next to Francis and he said, What what do you think? I said, I'd box the ears off the pair of them, whoever wins. And then I thought I'd lost the fight then because he ended up boxing Martin Wood. Uh, And I got invited to that one as well. Uh, And I'd obviously heard them two had sparred quite a lot before, and I'd heard that Martin was getting the better of the spars previous to the fight. Um, so I was a bit worried going down because I, I knew Martin from an amateur and I knew, I knew how talented he was uh, but then obviously it, it got stopped with an head clash within four rounds and, and we were next in line then so I was made up but uh, yeah, like touching on, on the question it was unbelievable night of what I remember of it um, the build up to it was, was brilliant as well and we didn't see eye to eye much previous before the fight uh, we sort of fell out considering we were we got on pretty well you know in, in our sparring camps
2: and that's surely got to be your happiest night in a boxing ring surely
0: yeah yeah it was brilliant yeah um yeah that british title touches close as well because of the occasion how many tickets had sold um uh, and the way it ended the British title I was I was sparring partners with John Donnelly as well and there was obviously tweets going out of the, of the morning of the fight by his trainer Derry Matthews and just tweets going out saying um, it's mad to think we're going to have a British champion in the gym tomorrow and I knew deep down that I'd stop him because um, I'd, I'd sparred him plenty before and I knew once I fought in my own head once it started getting to the middle rounds I'll start wrapping him around the body and, and I'll slow him down and I'll stop him that's what I thought in my own head I obviously didn't didn't think what, 69 seconds and it'd be over but yeah that, that was a brilliant night as well but yeah, the the, um, the world title tops
2: it, yeah. Yeah, two brilliant wins there. And um, obviously, you know, the aim after that win over Stuart Hall was to move back down in weight, which you did. Uh, you boxed Zolani Tete. Um, I'm going to hold my hands up and say I didn't really know tons about Tete before that fight, so I expected you to win it, But, um, you know, it didn't go to plan. Um, what do you remember about that yeah. one? But he's, again, he's huge, Tete. Yeah,
0: he, he was massive. Um, yeah, we... Pretty much knew nothing about him ourselves. We I had uh, a video of him from like four and a half years before. Um, he he was boxing for his flyweight world title. Uh, three days before I made my debut, so he was at world level when I was making my debut uh, at flyweight. So that was really the only footage we had of him, and he quit in that fight. Uh, he, he goes over with a jab and that's what I kept saying to him in the build-up. You'll quit. I'll get to you and you'll quit. And obviously we, we have not seen how much he'd improved and how well he travelled because and... he travelled really well. He was going over to Japan and he was final and over there and then he travelled to win the title. Um, So I hadn't seen anything of him for like years. Uh, and then I remember getting in in, in the first round, in the very first shot he threw, I thought, God, he's good, he hit hard as well. He threw a jab to the body and it landed. And I thought, he hit hard Him, I thought, is that what world-level power's like? Because I'd obviously sparred Stuart all, and he, he, he didn't have the best of power, but he, he had the engine to go with it, do you know what I mean? Stewie, but Tete had just frightening power. Um, Nothing really hurt me throughout the fight, but he didn't really land it at great will it was just it was mainly jabs where I couldn't really get past the jab and the the right hook uh, which was keeping me at bay and I couldn't get in and I, I was getting more frustrated and yeah the shot that finished it you've got to take your hat off to him and say brilliant shot timed it lovely he tried it a couple of times before and it whistled past and he pulls the jab out blinds me and he just lifts it up my shot
2: yeah definitely but, I mean, after that, though, obviously, you know, it's normal to kind of have a few keep-busies after that, perhaps some more confidence boosters. But there was like a two-year period where I think you had seven fights in that time. They were all kind of like treading water-type fights. At that stage, was that yeah. when you kind of started having, I want to say, promotional issues at the time? Yeah, like, I've always said, like, like the, the American, I think
0: the Americans do it right. Like, they lose and... They'll get back into another another big fight. Do you know what I mean? The Brits seem to like lose and and we just go and box next to nobody. Do you know what I mean? And 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 I I wasn't a fan of that. I was like, just get me a fight or like the the fight what I had after Tete, get me something like that and then and then move me into an eliminator or something. Do you know what I mean? Like I've won a world title, a box for a world title, I've been beat by Solani Tete, arguably the best super flyweight out there at the time. Um. Mm-hmm. Get me an eliminator of some sort, but it didn't happen like that yet. And then, and then the, I, I was struggling to to even get fights. Do you know what I mean? Like I was constantly on the phone, kind of fight. I was I was never ever injured under Frank. Um, I'd never pull out of a fight uh, wherever it was offered. I'd go, I'd fight. Uh, and then he got BT, and I thought, yes, finally. Do you know what I mean? Like instead of saying to my mates, "Oh, you have to you have to pay for Box Nation." for the month. And they were like, oh, Box Nation, oh, I'll just go to the pub and watch it. But then the pubs would have to pay for it. Um, so when he got beat I thought, brilliant, this is the platform that I need. Uh, and then I remember, I think Dubois was making his Dubois was making his debut that day. Uh, it was Liam Williams versus Liam Smith in, a, in an eliminator for the WBO title. And Terry Flanagan versus Petrov was it I think um, it was on that bill and I didn't even make the BT and I thought wow for all the years Frank struggled I won in British, Commonwealth all the intercontinental titles you could think of and a world title while he was struggling because all she used to say to me was you've got to win this you, you know." and I remember before the British title Frankie Gavin won it the week before against Junior Winter. Um and then I won it the week later um, and I think we were the only two British title uh, champions that that Frank had, and then it goes on to win a a, um, a world title, and I was, I'm still I still am, I think, uh, me and Joshua are still the fastest Englishman ever to win world titles, and I didn't even make the BT show. I got stuck on the Box Nation before the BT started, and I was gutted by that. I just thought, wow, I've gone right down attacking all day, Um Nicola Adams and Dubois made the BTO for me and I thought, I thought, wow, that's not right like that. now. And then I had like three months left on my contract and I asked Frank, I just said, w- would you, would you release me? Would you give me my contract back? And, and he did, fair dues to Frank. Um, We've never had any crosswords. He'd done well for me in my career. Um, maybe looking back, maybe I should have just bided my time and just waited and waited and, and got me shot under Frank, but you live and learn sometimes, I I, I think.
2: No, well said, and, and yeah, you're right in what you're saying. Really, I agree with you. You know, it was it was one loss to to a guy yeah. like Tete, who is just, you know, in my in my head, I call him Mister Hot and Cold because whatever whichever yeah. one he turns up, you know, you, you just never know. But. You know, after yeah. this this period that that we mentioned, you know, you you got the rematch against Stuart Hall. After that, another good win, of course. Then you made easy work of Jefferson yeah. Vargas before you end up on the Haybel U two undercard. So of of course you're on TV this time against Emmanuel Rodriguez, and you know you tried your best that night. Rodriguez was. Was, was really good that night, you know, you showed your toughness, and yeah. that performance really, by Rodriguez, turned me into a huge believer of his, to this day, he's one of the best in, in the division, uh, you probably don't look yeah, back, at, you know, at the fight with the happiest of memories, but just tell us about that one, Paul.
0: No, uh, not at all, to be honest, um, we'd heard about it around about Christmas, we'd accepted it around about Christmas time, and then it all just went flat, we had nothing, and I thought, right, I'd this fight isn't happening and Eddie weren't coming up with any offers nothing and then all of a sudden um, I, I, I weren't I weren't training properly I was, I was, I was in the gym taking over um, but obviously eating what I wanted doing what I wanted um, out with the lads etc and then I got it sprung on me you got, it's either this this fight on the Bell U card against David a., uh, in the return uh, or nothing because we the financial situation we, we couldn't put on any other show around that I wouldn't it wouldn't fit you know what I mean for for mine and Rodriguez's purse financially it wouldn't work so it was I had four weeks or nothing or Rodriguez had boxed the next one in line if we didn't take it and I was like four weeks I had I, I was like at ten stone uh, so I had to get to weight six and I struggled like mad Um, basically I was just trying to lose weight so with four weeks notice I was fighting a losing battle, but I always had the, that that carrot hanging over me, if you win this you're in the World Boxing Super Series and I'd obviously seen what Callum had done in the World Boxing Super Series, money wise and platform wise, that I couldn't turn it down I'd be sh- absolutely stupid to turn it down Um, so I had to go in there and, and I did my best um, I'd watched enough of him I'm um, looking back now I, I'd I'm not saying I beat him, but I'd love a 10 week camp. I'd love to step in there. Also, shown with him that night is just how tough I am, and I'm never going to give up. Joe said to me after nine hours, he said, That's it. He said, I'm pulling you out now. I said, No, you're not. There's no chance you're pulling me out. I've got all my fans here. They've travelled down from from Port to London. There's no way. I said, Joe, I'm all right. I said, I swear I'm all right. He said, Pull your nose all over your face. I said, I'm not bothered. I'm going out there. I'm fighting. He said, all right. He said, I'll see what you like this round. And I went out on a, a, a tried hard in that round. So he couldn't really pull me out the next round.
2: Yeah. Like I say, you showed so much toughness that night as well. And you know, he was just, mm-hmm. he was, he was really good. Um, Again, six months later, you know you beat Yon Boyo. That was a good win, of course. Since then, you've picked up another four wins, all against guys who you know are kind of a level below yourself. Um, What what is the plan, Paul, going forward? I know a couple of those fights, by the way, have been on Joe's own show, so you've kind of done each other a favor there. It's not really you know where you belong, so to speak. But yeah, what's the plan going going ahead?
0: Um. Well, I am number. I was number three with the IBF and Greer got beat during this lockdown on one of
2: the. the, um, top ranked shows, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, he got beat. So I don't know whether. I I haven't looked at the rankings, to be honest with you. I don't know whether I pushed into two or the kid that beat him's pushed into two. I haven't got a clue. Um, But I should imagine. Well, I've just signed a contract um, to box for a title. I'm not going to say which title or, or where or anything like that. Because it's still gonna get made and I don't wanna spoil it. Um so I just signed to Box for a title, which would have pushed me to pretty much number one or number two with, with the IBF anyway, even if Greer would have won, do you know what I mean? Um so hopefully once crowds are back on and and what and whatnot, then that fight'll still go well, it will go ahead with we've, we've had the email to say it is still going ahead just when everything's back up and running. So that's the plan going forward, and I'm dying to get out there. It's frustrating for, well, as for every boxer, I should imagine, that's actually not getting out and, and active. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, you mentioned there, obviously, you you've got to be tight-lipped about it and all that until the announcement's official. But... Um you know you mentioned about boxing for a title would it be wise to have a fight in the meantime just to you know to not be too rusty going in or or not at all you're going to just go straight in
0: no I'm not one of them you know like I haven't sparred since before the lockdown if I I was to go in and spar tomorrow I'm one of them that's just not rusty do you know what I mean like it doesn't matter how long I'm out the ring I won't be rusty give give me a good training camp um, some good sparring then I'm ready to go maybe I don't believe in none all that. Or I was ring rusty there. You could tell. And nah, getting if, if your training camp's good enough, your sparring's good enough, there should be no ring rust there.
2: Okay, and Miss, because I know again a couple of your fights. Obviously, you haven't had to make weight. There hasn't been a title on the line. Which weight we? Which weight we at going forward here?
0: Bantamweight. I'm sticking a bantamweight. Yeah.
2: Okay. Nice one. And I want to ask you, Paul, as well. Obviously, during this lockdown, you know, you're one of the lucky ones that doesn't get rusty. You say, what have you been up to?
0: Yeah, I've just been taking over. Um, obviously, we've been back in Joe's. Uh, yeah, you had the... bits and Joe's. I've so... done, I've done bits in in my own gym. Um, well, not my own gym. Me, amateur gym, and that's actually coaching. Coaching our amateur gym as well, so I can train in there every day and. Yeah, so I'm get I'm I'm still active. I'm still training. I'm still ticking over, and I, I've been doing bits and joes as well.
2: Nice, brilliant. Because I see the video that you know Joe had the people come in with all the sprays and the hazmat suits and all. That yeah. really good.
0: Yeah, we we go in every day, and Joe, Joe checks our temperature, gives us our hand sanitizer. Uh, we we're going in two, so yeah, it's all it's all very strict and done properly. There's there's no uh, no corners cut and. Yeah, it's it's like like Joe's Joe's mum's getting on and Joe's looking after her, yeah. so it, Joe wouldn't cut no corners, you know, to to please anyone because he's he's obviously caring for his mum and, and there's obviously a lot of older people around us all so we've all got mum well, most of us have all got mums, dads, you know what I mean, hands, granddads that are all quite vulnerable to it, so yeah, Joe wouldn't cut any corners.
2: Oh, excellent, my friend, excellent. One of my questions was gonna be um, you know, if you had any idea when you're next out, uh, obviously I, I didn't know that you were, you were, you know, going to be getting a title shot next. So are you, are you yeah. have any clue at the minute when we're likely to hear anything?
0: No, but I, I did the other day. I don't know where I heard it. Uh, apparently the, tr- the trial and crowd soon, aren't they? So I think it's October to the trialing crowd and the so. July or I heard something anyway, that they're going to be trialing crowds soon. So hopefully very soon. Um, Let's just hope this second spike, what they keep saying, is, is coming along. I'm I'm not a great believer in all this, in this COVID, to be honest with you. I think, I think they're having us laugh, but yeah, um, let's hope that the government don't come out with a, a second spike.
2: Hopefully not. And uh, I, I want to drop mm. this big, big juicy question here as well, uh, as well here, yeah. Paul. Um, this is a, I'm really, really interested, quite excited to see what you say about this one. After beating... Stuart Hall for the title at Bantamweight obviously in the first fight if you could go back yeah. in time would you have preferred to keep the title and attempt to defend it at Bantam rather than move back down
0: biggest mistake in my life mate. Yeah. biggest mistake in my life um, I had the title of work. I worked hard to win that title Why I give it up man but I give it up um, should have kept hold of it should have, should have built myself up into a Bantamweight then when, when I could and um, mm and tried to move forward. I know Caballero would have been a tough operator. He 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 was very good. He was a big ban on weight himself, but um so was so Hall. all. Uh, he was a big big ban on weight. Caballero was a bigger puncher, um better boxing ability wise, but yeah, just had a l I'd a loved chance. you know what I mm. mean? Um but I was advised at the time and I, I thought it'd be a good idea. And obviously with us not knowing anything about Tete. That's why we went back down to try and create history. I think I'd have been the fifth man in 102 years or something to to do it. But, yeah, biggest regret biggest regret of, of all is not uh, defending. I've never heard the announcer say, I'm in the blue corner, um, IBF bantamweight champion of the world, Paul Butler, do you know what I mean? I've I, I never heard them, them words. Um, I never went out as a champion. Uh, I just give it up. And funnily enough, I was actually, I didn't know I'd give it up. I was, I was at a festival in Croatia and I got a phone call off someone doing an interview and they said, Paul, um, now you've given up your, your Bannon and week title. What's the plan now? And I was like, i have give it up. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't even know that, that Frank and that had given up on me. I knew eventually I was giving up, but I didn't know they'd actually give up the title at that time. I hadn't had a phone call or nothing to say, Paul, well, we're, we're going to, relinquish the title for we're gonna move forward with this Tethic fight. Wow.
2: That's incredible.
0: So that's how it came about us on our the.
2: No, but I mean look, it's you're in the history books anyway for what you did at Bantamweight to yeah. move up in weight to a weight where it wasn't your best weight at the time at all. You know, you moved up, Not you beat a much, much bigger smaller. guy. And, um, you know, you're in, you're in the history books for that. And like I say, throughout your career thus yeah. far, you haven't really taken tons and tons of punishment. Your days aren't over just yet. You can still do big things, Paul. I believe that. I'm not just saying because no, you're on the
0: phone. No,
2: 100%. And, um. No,
0: I feel, I feel fresher than ever, to be honest with you. I feel like constantly in the gym. I'm like, ask anyone from our gym. I'm, everything I do, it's like, I've got to be first. Everything, if we're doing a run, I've got to be first. I've got to set all the times of, Everything I do, I've got to, I've got to be the best of it. Do you know what I mean? And I still feel fresh, fresh as they come in the gym. I still feel, I still feel like the the best of to I think under Joe, I feel like I don't waste nothing. It's uh, all very very structured and everything's done right as and before. And it was all such a rush. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, it was just get to where I've got to be and maybe I have got to the world title sooner than I should have. Maybe I wasn't ready at that actual time. Um, maybe twenty fights, something like that. But the the chance was there, you, you can you can't it's like if it's a world title, you never turn down a world title shot. Yeah. And uh we took it with both hands and we won it.
2: Yeah, for sure. But no, um, you know, like I say, this, this lockdown as well, this this pandemic has, uh, is, in my opinion, is good for the for the mental side of things, which you need in boxing as well, you know. That's just my opinion. So. 100%. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I agree. I'm excited to see you come back when it will be um, announced, Paul. And yeah, just you mentioned Randy Caballero. We had him on a few weeks ago. I tracked him down. He's now uh, the proud owner of a barber shop, believe it or not. So he's... Uh, is he yeah, here? he's got a barber shop which is doing pretty well, and he's talking about possibly making a comeback. So we shall see about that. All right, then, Paul. Just before we we let you go, my friend, if you've got any closing words just to the listeners, anything you want to say, anything at all, uh, you can thank sponsors. You can send a shout out to anyone. Completely um, say whatever you want just before we let you go. No, just yeah, just thanks
0: to my sponsors that have always stuck by me, ago and Ringside, and, and everyone that's always played a part in my career so far, and. There's much more to come.
2: Excellent. Listen, Paul, I just want to say it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time this week. I wish you all the best for the future. We'll be looking out for the announcement. And, uh, yeah, thanks. thanks for coming on. Speak soon. Cheers,
0: mate. Thanks, mate.
2: Okay, and this wraps up episode 250 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. The former heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Eddie Chambers, has been with me for the duration of the show, so thank you to him once again with his lockdown knockdown segment. Um, A massive thank you, of course, to our sole guest on this week's podcast, the former IBF bantamweight world champion, Paul Butler. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. Um, One piece of news is that Stephen Fulton has tested positive Positive for coronavirus, so his fight that I mentioned earlier on in the podcast is off. Instead, his opponent Angelo Leo will now be boxing uh, the guy that was supposed to be in the chief support fight, Tremaine Williams. Again, it's going to be for the vacant world title. Tremaine Williams was supposed to be, obviously, like I say, the chief support. He was supposed to be boxing a guy called um, Re Salim. Uh, Risa Leem will now be boxing a late replacement in the shape of Marcus Bates, who's 11-1, and, and his sole loss came to Risa Leem back in April of 2018, so that's a rematch. Um, I feel a little bit sorry for Leo, you know, quite unlucky for, um, for, um, f- for Angelo Leo, because on fight week he finds out there's a late replacement and it's going to be a southpaw, so... I'm sure he wasn't ready for that. We shall see. I wish Tremaine Williams all the best. He's a friend of the show. Uh, Just a reminder again, that one takes place on Saturday evening um, at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut. But that's about everything from myself. Thanks once again for listening. Enjoy your weekends, people, and we shall see you all again next week.